There is a creature known to Buddhist monks, but you will probably never hear of its name. They have sheltered it in secrecy for thousands of years, high atop a mountain monastery in Tibet. Such creatures are made of a kind of plasma. They look much like translucent jellyfish and transverse space between planets. The reason you will never hear of it is that it is a guarded secret of the ancient black masters. For many thousands of years, the order has occupied the monastery which is built into the rock of the mountain. They rarely venture from it. The impoverished peasants below hold and have always held them with great regard. It was the greatest wish of all families that one of their children would be chosen to become one of these monks. Once every twelve years, the monastery would open the compound gate to choose which children would be accepted into the teachings. Boys between the ages of five and nine would hike with their families the long path up the mountain. The families were not allowed to stay, so the children were then left at the gate. The boys would wait outside, in silence and stillness, until the monks would come and choose. They would be made to wait days without food or water. Most would leave and wander home. Once the monk opened the gate and chose those who were deemed worthy, they would be taken within the sanctuary walls. If the parents did not see their child returning from the mountain, they knew their son was accepted. Sadly, however, he would never be allowed out or to see his family again until he was in his twenties. While this was hard on their families, they knew that their child would be taken care of and later in life be able to take care of the family and bring them honor. In a world of abject poverty and starvation, this was the greatest wish and hope of these parents. The child would be dressed and prepared and led by a monk up to one of the higher building rooms. The monk would unbind ropes that locked two wooden doors and place the boy inside standing before the altar. He would then lock him in alone. Spaces and walls close to the ceiling let in only light. The altar ran the length of the room carved into the rock, five feet high and twelve feet deep. In the center of this step, a round hole five feet in diameter had been bored out. The hole in the stone was perfectly cylindrical, twenty feet down and concave at the bottom. Of course, the boy could not see this or the hole itself, only the thing that protruded from it. A clear, gelatinous-looking, dome-shaped monster seemed to sit on the altar, as the rest of its body tendrils rested within a hole. While the creature had no eyes of its own, it appeared as if someone had penciled Asian eyes onto its mass, and they stared at him. The boy stood frozen, crying at the sight. The creature did not move toward him, yet somehow drew the soul and life force from the child's body, killing him. As his tiny body collapses to the floor, the plasma monster encases his soul in a clear sphere from which it could not escape. It looked like a tiny spark of light inside a glass ball. A tendril moved up from the hole and wrapped around it, pulling it beneath. The plasma monster sits upon them, all the while feeding off the trapped soul's energy. There are thousands of these balls in the well. The ones at the bottom are dead and used up, resembling grains of black sand at the bottom of the glass ball. Further up the hole, the souls are newer and still have some life left. It takes a few hundred years of draining and feeding before the soul is completely dead. Many believe the soul cannot be killed, and for the most part this is true. 
Yet this is one of the true monstrosities capable of such an atrocity. Those parents never knew the fate that awaited their child when they brought him to the monastery. They never knew the horror and suffering that beset him. They will never know how his soul suffered for hundreds of years until it was finally wholly consumed. I know you think this is a fairy tale, that these things are not possible. The truth is, these plasma monsters are real, however. In their natural state, they are harmless gentle giants that move through the vastness of space between planets. Not on them. This monster was captured and contained by the evil Black Order that masks honorable and noble monks. They, who through ritual and ancient rites entrapped and enslaved this plasma being down here for thousands of years in its own prison as an instrument of their black fare. I do not know why they would need this entity to harvest souls for them when they are capable of extracting souls on their own. All I know is that there is a monster with Asian eyes in the monastery, on the monastery, on the mountain. In fact, there are many of them. Back in 1979, I found this while visiting my grandparents in Carmichael's Township, Pennsylvania, Green County, for the weekend. One of my uncles is having a house built on a piece of land about a quarter mile down the road from my grandparents' house. My uncle was over at my other uncle's house a few miles away. My father wanted to go see his property and construction progress, so we walked down the road to see it for ourselves. A workman's van parked in the front part of the property where he kept all his tools and some other equipment. His dog, a big German shepherd that loved to bark and make his presence known to everyone, was chained to his van as a deterrent to anyone that might try to steal his tools. As we approached my uncle's property, we noticed that his dog wasn't barking or growling. His dog had crawled underneath the van and was whining like it was scared. I remember my father and I thought this is very odd, but decided to walk around back where the new house was being built about fifty to sixty feet beyond his work bin. Where his work bin was parked was a hill that was dug out for the foundation of the new house. There's also a large tree there, and that is where we saw it. My father saw it first and told me to stop. It was large, it was wide, and it was black. The creature must have heard us and was leaning against the tree just staring at us. We temporarily froze. It slowly moved so that it was partially behind the tree, and its head was visible from the other side, kind of like he was playing peek. I remember my father leaning to the side to get a better view when this creature stepped out from behind the tree in full view. That was the point when my father threw me over his shoulder and did a full-on sprint back to my grandparents' house, a quarter mile away. It didn't appear to be aggressive, but I guess my father didn't want to take any chances. We got to their house, and my father yelled for everyone to get in the back room and stay put. He called his other brother that lived on the other side of town and told him to bring his shotguns. Both of his brothers showed up, and they all went back down the road to investigate. Hence the saying, there's nothing more dangerous than a scared human being. They didn't find anything. Not even the dog who had crawled back up underneath the van. My uncles gave me and my dad a bunch of grief over this whole story and said we had just seen a black bear. Well, that was no black bear. Being that this event happened so long ago, I can't accurately say how tall the creature was. It was 50 to 60 feet away, 
but it was larger than any person I've ever seen, maybe seven or eight feet tall. What really stuck with me over these years was just how wide the creature was. It was massive, probably twice the width of a large man. It is pretty much spot with that Bigfoot scene in the Pattison, Gimlin film. A few days later, one of my uncles called my father when he went back to work a couple of days later. He said one of his co-workers actually approached him and said, You're not going to believe what I think I saw over the weekend when I was out fishing. Apparently there were numerous sightings over the weekend from several miles away, and the local newspeople even wrote an article about it. I was in the mountains of North Carolina for several days. It was a beautiful and peaceful hiking trip with my brother, sister, and their friend Caleb, until one early morning around 3 a.m., when every creature in a ten-mile radius was chirping, squeaking, howling, or scampering around through the woods. Being from the Midwest and having survived two tornadoes, I thought the worst weather event of my life was about to occur, and I was sleeping in a hammock. For those who don't know, just before a tornado is formed above your head, every animal in sight will be freaking the F out. They know. They can feel it. You can feel it too. You just won't know what that new feeling is until the 60-year-old trees beside you are being ripped from the ground. Being in the eye of a tornado is even more strange, as all those same animals in sight are frozen. Sure, they still exist, but their little soul is on hold, and they don't do much more than look around quietly. It's creepy. Anyway, this wasn't a tornado. 3 a.m., the fire we made was just ambers and a roaring thunder of animals freaking out. I peek my head out of my hammock, imagining getting my face smashed in by the first softball-sized hail, with my luck just for looking. But no, there was no bad weather. There was no storm or looming catastrophe. It was a beautiful night, aside from the roaring animal kingdom. My brother peeked his head out of hammock above me, and looked down to see if I was awake. When he saw my eyes as wide as saucers, he whispered, What the F is happening? I replied, I don't know, but I wish I was up there in your hammock. Being on the ground level usually is best for guys my size, up 235 pounds. I lack the grace to climb up hammock ropes and jump into bed eight feet off the ground. Anyway, the terrifyingly creepy roaring continued for about 30 seconds. And then it just suddenly stopped. It seemed to be a sweeping effect, where the outside of the radius stopped first and the creatures closer to us stopped last. But it was only a single second or two difference. It was pretty damn synchronized. My brother and I were freaked the F out. After five minutes of silence, we got out of the hammocks and started the fire up again. This time we made sure it was big enough to light up a hundred feet out. The last thing we need is a big foot of some weird shit going down. My brother went up to the ridge to check on my sister and Caleb, about sixty feet uphill from our hammocks. Caleb always wanted to be in the highest possible safe spot so he could watch the sunrise from his hammock. As soon as my brother got to their hammocks he yelled a shrieking kind of yell from me, the kind I had only heard from him twice before when his friend got his bike handlebar lodged in his stomach about an inch deep as a kid, and when he split his own head open. I ran up to the ridge with the axe in my right hand, the first aid bag in my left hand, and flashlight in my teeth, expecting the worst. When I arrived to Caleb's bottom bunk, he was in a state of shock. 
His eyes were wide open. He was shivering and shaking, and he was staring down at the valley. Wouldn't you know my sister didn't even wake up? Figures low, she had her headphones in all night, listening to her folk music. Apparently, she hates the sound of animals and prefers to have a controlled mental state where nothing can make her paranoid. We woke her up, and she had no idea what the hell was going on. She just stayed in her hammock like, what do you want me to do? We eventually got Caleb down to the fire and wrapped him in some blankets. I gave him a shot of whiskey to sip on, but he mostly just held it and stared into the fire. The whole night was too weird for sleep. But Caleb finally lay down next to the fire and fell asleep around 4.45 a.m. The sun came up and my siblings and I decided to leave the fire and go see the sunrise from the ridge. We all sat in Caleb's hammock, still bewildered. The sun was perfect and Caleb picked out the best spot you could imagine, as usual. But then my brother spotted something strange. What's that? he said, pointing down the valley. Right there on the bank of the river. My sister and I struggled to get his perspective, but then finally noticed a clearing. We decided to go check it out, but one of us had to stay with Caleb. My sister volunteered as she hates creepy things. She didn't want us to go down, but we insisted. I left her my axe, an emergency GPS signal thing. I told her to just scream if she needed us, and to not hesitate to use her pepper spray. She just said, stop freaking me out and just go. I'll be here when you get back. So my brother and I hiked down to the river. It took about 20 minutes. When we arrived, we felt very uncomfortable. There were no animals around whatsoever. No birds, no squirrels, nothing. The clearing on the riverbank was about 100 yards upstream. We took to the higher side of the bank to keep our distance. I don't think either of us actually expected anything to go down, but we wanted to remain cautious. When we were about 50 yards away at a slight elevation to the clearing, we pulled out our phones to take pictures, but our phones were dead. Mine is known to die, but I have an external battery pack that attaches to my Otterbox that I know was fully charged. My brother's phone is always reliable and usually attached to his portable solar panel charger that he keeps on the outside of his pack. His shit was dead too. Both of us tried to hold our power buttons, not believing they were really dead. But when we realized they were definitely not going to turn on, we both got that paranoid look on our faces. We decided to leave, but not before carefully studying the clearing for a few seconds. It was about 100 feet across and the shape of a triangle. All of the bushes and plants that typically grow alongside the river were all flattened down. Even some mature azalea bushes that typically stand six, eight feet tall were eerily laying flat. It's as if everything in that triangle shape had bent down as close to the ground as it could get. Nothing appeared broken, but rather as if it had grown along the earth instead of growing up toward the sun. It was weird as shit, and only in that triangle area. When we got back to camp, Caleb was awake. My sister had a weird look on her face. Caleb was totally normal. Hey, bro, you all right? My brother asked. Caleb just casually answered. Yeah, man, doing well. Missed the sunrise, but I guess I needed the sleep. We just looked at him concerned. Like, what the... EF? He was eating a breakfast bar and heating up coffee over the fire. 
We sat down across from him, and I asked, So, hey, do you remember that shit last night? He looked at me puzzled. My brother added, you know, when all the animals freaked out, and we found you. He just looked so confused. My sister said, Caleb, stop playing. He asked, what are you talking about? My brother said, bro, you were messed up last night. Caleb laughed and responded, yeah, I figured I had to be because I never sleep next to the fire all wrapped up in blankets. Not after getting that bug in my ear that one time, lol. We continued to ask him questions, but he had no memory whatsoever. As far as he was concerned, he had a few too many drinks and slept next to the fire. We told him our story and each of us agreed, but he had no recollection. We told him about the spot next to the river and how our phones wouldn't turn on. We pulled our phones out to show him, and they were already on. My brother had 67% battery, and mine had 41%. We got the creeps real quick. We decided to pack up camp and get the F away from that spot. But before we did a final sweep, Caleb asked, Have you guys seen my camera? He had a nice DSLR Sony with a nice lens. And that shit was gone. The weirdest part is he slept with it in his hammock. Every single time he goes camping. And we've never seen it not on his body. He even specifically remembered taking it to bed and tucking it in its bag and putting the lens in its sleeve. It's like a ritual for him. He takes super good care of his belongings. We searched around the ridge and all around the fire and in between the two spots. It was nowhere to be found. Caleb even went down the ridge a bit toward the river in case it had fallen out and rolled down the hill. But it was gone. We had to leave, and my siblings and I agreed to pitch in to buy him a new one, if he would just get the F out of there with us. About three miles and one hour later, my brothers turned to me on the trail and said, Do you think he tried to take a picture of some shit he wasn't supposed to see? The creepiest feeling swept over me, and I replied, Bro, Let's just forget how messed up he was and get the hell away from here. He nodded in agreement. He nodded in agreement. It's been about a year now, and they haven't seen or heard from Caleb in eight months. No one has. In the town of Bladenboro, North Carolina, just eight miles southwest of Elizabethtown, where I stay, it was said a demon cat from hell used to stalk the woods, killing livestock, and making the locals scared. Then it suddenly disappeared. That's what they say anyway. We know it didn't. To this day, there have been reports of something that looks like an abnormally large mountain lion with blood, red eyes, and fur, as black as night. Its cries have been compared to that of a woman being torn apart and screaming for her life. Luckily, it only has a taste for goats and cows, or so we think anyway. I will tell you, there have been a few people that have gone missing. Some have been found, and to hear some of the police tell the story, the bodies were torn to shreds. It's not just located in Bladenboro, like most think. It goes from Bladen Lakes, State Forest, to the Green Swamp Preserve area, which covers three counties and 1225 square miles. A friend of mine was hunting one day down in Green Swamp Preserve when it started getting dark. If you hunt in this area, you know you've got to be out of the woods before dark by law. So he climbed down from his tree stand and began the long walk through the swamp and underbrush 
to where he parked his truck. Now my friend is a cornbread, fed southern boy, and has the size to prove it. Standing six feet, six inches, with a weight of 260 pounds of pure farmhand muscle, he isn't small by any standards. So he learned not to be scared of anything. He said what happened next made him never want to go in the swamp hunting again. Making his way through the brush, he said he began hearing something walking through the woods toward him. He stopped to listen for it and said it sounded like a large black bear, so he got his gun ready just in case. When he stopped, it stopped. When he walked, it walked. He said it made him nervous because whatever it was knew he was there and won't be running off. He said he started making noise and even shot his shotgun in the air. It didn't leave. Instead, it let out a growl. He said you could feel as much as here. All the way through the woods, it stayed just behind him, out of sight. When he came out of the woods onto the dirt road, he said his truck was about 50 yards down from him. He decided it was a pretty good chance that whatever it was following him was going to keep following or make a move on him there. So he took off running, it took off running. It took off running, too. He said it sounded like a bulldozer was crashing through the woods, and when it broke from the woods, it sounded like a horse running through loose dirt. He could hear the stomps of its feet and the growling in its breath. He didn't have to look back to know it was coming and catching up to him. He shot behind him, hoping it would scare it enough to stop for a moment and give him a chance to make it to the truck. When he did, he said he must have hit it because it screamed, and for a moment he thought it was a person. That's when he finally turned around. He said it was jet black, as big as a 600-pound black bear, with a tail as long as its body, and eyes that were glowing red. He hit it, and it was just standing there looking at him as if to say, now you've done it. He bolted to the truck and jumped in. Just as he shut the door, he looked, and it was right there. He said it was so close, its breath was fogging the window. By now, he said he was shaking badly, and it was everything he could do to get the key and the ignition and start the motor. He drives a Ford F-350 four-wheel drive that was raised up so that there's a good two feet of clearance under the truck. He said this thing was on all four feet and looking eye to eye with him in his truck. The engine started and he took off like a bat out of hell. He said it chased him as hard as it could until he picked up speed and stopped and watched him drive off. The next day he and his dad went back with guns and looked around for tracks blood or even a dead body. He said there was no blood even though he knows it was shot and there were paw prints as big as his hands on the ground everywhere. Then they found a tree that nine feet up had claw marks one inch deep in the wood spaced four inches apart from each other. They didn't venture into the woods nor did they go too far from the truck. Both of them said they felt as though they were being watched and didn't want to stick around to find out what it was. They got back in the truck and that's when they heard it. A scream from the woods off in the distance. He said it was like a woman screaming bloody murder. It let him know it was there waiting. Yep. There are many dark secrets in the woods. Charlie Daniels even wrote about these woods in one of his songs. If you ever get adventurous and want to try your luck, come on down to Green Swamp. And when the sun goes down, get real quiet. You might hear that scream. I hope when you do, it's off in the distance and not close by. Because if it is, well... Because if it is, well, it might just be the last sound you hear. My name is Alex Parker. 
and I've spent my life dedicated to serving my country as a highly decorated Green Beret. I thought I'd seen it all. The horrors of war. The horrors of war. The camaraderie of brothers in arms. And the relentless pursuit of justice. But nothing could have prepared me for the day my life would crumble around me. It started with a mission like any other. A routine extraction operation in a war-torn region. But what should have been a straightforward operation turned into a nightmare. A high-ranking government official had been abducted by a notorious terrorist group, and our team was dispatched to rescue him. We executed the mission flawlessly, but when we returned, the horror began to unfold. As the sun set on the horizon, casting long shadows across the base, I was called into the commanding officer's office. The room felt suffocating, the tension in the air almost tangible. The screen flickered to life, displaying damning evidence of my involvement in a heinous act of treason against my own country. The images were fabricated, twisted fragments meant to tarnish my reputation and strip away my honor. I protested vehemently, my heart pounding in my chest as I realized the extent of the setup. But my pleas fell on deaf ears. Within moments, my brothers in arms became my captors, and I found myself fleeing from those I once called family. The weight of betrayal was crushing, and as I vanished into the shadows, I vowed to clear my name and expose the truth, no matter the cost. The days turned into nights, and I navigated a treacherous path through the underbelly of the world I'd sworn to protect. I connected with contacts from my past life, those who still believed in my innocence, and together we pieced together the fragments of a conspiracy that reached far deeper than I could have ever imagined. As I dug deeper, I uncovered a web of deception that led straight to the heart of our own government. It was a sinister plot to undermine the very foundations of our nation, to manipulate the course of history for the benefit of a select few. The tendrils of corruption reached high-ranking officials, government agencies, and even some of my own former comrades. Time was running out, and the walls were closing in around me. But I was determined. I utilized every skill, every ounce of training, to evade capture and inch closer to the truth. It was a race against time, a battle not just for my own redemption, but for the safety and integrity of the nation I held dear. Every sleepless night, every narrow escape brought me closer to the heart of the conspiracy. I confronted old allies turned enemies, faced the ghosts of my past, and deciphered the cryptic clues that had been strategically left behind. The truth was a mosaic of betrayal and power, a puzzle that threatened to consume me. And then, in a final confrontation beneath the dim glow of a derelict warehouse, the pieces fell into place. The mastermind, a man I once called a mentor, stood before me, his face etched with arrogance and cruelty. The showdown was a battle of wills, a clash of ideals that would determine the fate of not just one man, but an entire nation. With every ounce of strength and determination I possessed, I exposed the truth to the world. The evidence was undeniable. The conspiracy unraveled and the traitors were unmasked. The web of corruption was shattered, but the scars it left were deep and lasting. As the dust settled, my name was cleared, but the cost had been high. The trust I once had in the system was shattered, the brotherhood cherished forever altered. I walked away from the shadows, a survivor of a battle that had extended far beyond the battlefield. 
My life had been a tapestry of loyalty, duty, and sacrifice. And though the threads of betrayal had threatened to unravel it all, I emerged stronger, determined to ensure that justice would always prevail. My journey had been one of darkness and redemption, a testament to the unyielding spirit of a green beret who refused to be silenced even when the odds were stacked against him. I was working at around 2 a.m. on the north end of my jurisdiction on a dirt road that dipped slightly down in elevation into a tamarack and red-white pine swamp. I'm patrolling along the road because it's a known back way for drunk drivers to take to avoid the main route at bar time in between neighboring villages. Just south of me, a quarter mile as the crow flies, is a small Native American reservation populated with residential. But I'm essential working somewhere that I shouldn't see anyone other than passing vehicles. Certainly no one on foot. It's in summer early fall where the days are warm, but the nights were cold. As I'm driving, I have my window down enjoying the brisk temps. I'm a Wisconsinite. And for some reason, I was driving fairly slow, probably only about 20 miles per hour. Off to my left, I hear very distinctly the sound of water thrashing, and my mind initially thinks I hear maybe a deer or a bear running through the water. I'd seen a black bear the night before. I'd seen a black bear the night before near where I was on this night. I came to a quick stop and used my spotlight and left alley takedown floodlight to hit where I thought I'd see something like the black bear fellow. But there was zero movement, just the sound of weighty water slushing away from me. Where I was looking was not thick with woods, but more adolescent pines and smaller underbrush, with a dry ridge only fifty yards away from me. I had lots of clear sight lines in between larger pines to the hill past the water. I estimated the water to be only maybe a foot deep, but as I'm seeing nothing make the sounds that I'm hearing, my mind then thinks that maybe it's a someone in the water but hiding behind a tree to avoid me, and so I have a concern for them because of how cold it was that morning. But I see nothing. The sounds of water moving was very distinct and to me sounded bipedal and heavy, and my perception was telling me that I should be seeing something only a couple dozen feet away from me. But there was just the sound. I called out asking if anyone was there, but nothing. The swishing of water stopped and I saw nothing walking up the ridge, as if it had cleared the water. I didn't spend much longer looking into the barely lit woods over the water. I rolled my window up and continued on briefly, hoping that I hadn't stranded a guy in the dark, cold, wet woods. That's what my rational mind was thinking. But there was definitely a shit alarm going off in my lizard brain telling me to boot-scoot the F out of there the moment I didn't see anything running through the water. It was a back-of-the-neck, tingly moment. The noise was so loud. Enough to hear it while driving in a vehicle. But there was only the pretty calm shimmer of the water, and nothing that I could see running through a foot of water. This happened two falls ago, and I remember that morning every time I drive through there.